Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today you are joining us for episode 160, Neurotransmitters Beyond Your Brain, or really Neurotransmitters 101. So we've talked about brain chemistry so much, and Ali, you often allude to dopamine, epinephrine, serotonin, and of course, the well-known and beloved GABA, but I'm super <laughs> excited to take this to a whole new level and really nerd out on neurotransmitters. And we've already decided to split this and make it more of a two-part episode, focusing first on the inhibitory neurotransmitters and then more so on excitatory, because I know there's going to be so, so much here. Yes. And like you said, with the title Beyond Your Brain, we're going to talk about today deeper down the rabbit hole of what neurotransmitters are, how they influence the function of your body beyond your mood and your mental health, as well as some of the application of which neurotransmitters may be the focus in your body's undesired symptoms or uh, feedback of imbalance in your body, as well as, of course, the best part, food as medicine solutions and supplement strategy to get them back into balance. So we've talked in so many prior episodes about the connection of the enteric nervous system or basically the gut being the second brain of the body. I've also made the connection that when the gut is inflamed and our, or we have a general state of inflammation in the body, our HPA axis or our fight or flight response can start to go into that excitatory stimulatory pathway where the hypothalamus and pituitary drive out from the adrenals for survival. And that often can cause this imbalance. It can deplete our landing gear, which are, as you mentioned, the inhibitory players. That's what we're going to draw into depth today. Or it can drive an excess of the excitatory. And either way, this can express with anxiety, agitation, panic, chronic distress, and just a feeling of dis-ease. Yes. And I know this is a concept that you really dig into in the anti-anxiety diet. So for those of you who have the book, this will be a really nice way of Allie kind of breaking down, going deeper down the rabbit hole than what's in the book and hopefully hearing it in um, some more human speak. Not that the book isn't human speak, but sometimes <laughs> it can get a little nerdy. Um, and then Beyond that, if you don't have the book, this is a great sneak preview into some of the great nitty gritty sciencey stuff that's in there. Yeah. I was going to say, you could totally grab your book and I believe it's chapter seven, it's seven or eight, but it's called rebalance your neurotransmitters. And you could literally follow along with these next two episodes and kind of highlight the symptoms because I think that things will resonate. Like Becky said, in a discussion application deeper than they would in, in just reading it. 
And, you know, as you'll learn today, the pharmaceutical industry brings in over $14 billion per year in antidepressant and anti-anxiety drugs targeting neurotransmitter function. You know, we recognized decades ago the connection of IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and serotonin connection there. And that's why often antidepressant drugs are used for conditions like fibromyalgia, which includes muscle aches, chronic fatigue syndrome, and so much more. So it's, like I said, beyond mood and mental health. And I'm so excited to unpack all of the depths that we're going to cover today. Yes. So go grab your highlighter and your book. But before we go (laughs) any further, let's have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, who understands how important healthy fats are, F-bomb. Yes. So you all know that I am a huge fan of F-bomb. I just got back from my West Coast arm of the Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook Tour, where F-bomb served as my sponsor, which was super fun. I got to share nut butter packs with every person that came to visit me and get their book signed. And everyone was falling in love with the fact that F-bomb provides real food and high quality fat delivery. So I'm talking macadamia nut and coconut base that will have often just the add of salt, three ingredients in most of the F-bomb nut butter packs, which makes this one of the only packaged foods that I allow my three-year-old Stella to consume. We all know that fat is the foundation of supporting hormone balance in the body, as well as metabolic and blood sugar control, a great way to boost ketone production. And you might use it as a tool to extend your fast a little bit into like a fat fast, which works really convenient on the road. Yes, that was definitely a highlight for many of you who came to the book tour stops, you know, beyond getting to meet Allie and get your book signed. Um, you all walked away with an F-bomb pack. So hopefully you all enjoyed that. I also love their pork sticks and their keto crunch as really great on the road snacks and super happy to come home to have some of those in the, uh, the pantry as well. So yes, go on. Stella burned through yeah. all the nut, the, um, well, we had some nut butter packs cause those were for giveaways. So she started working into those stash, but <laughs> she burned through all those pork sticks, like within the first week of our 12 day trip. So that was trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. They are one of the best meat sticks on the market. So yes, as Becky was saying, go on over to drop an F backslash Allie Miller RD. That'll be a landing page where you'll see my picture. That's how you show F-bomb that you're voting with your dollar. You learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. You also get built-in savings by using that uh, landing page. There is a uh, promo right now for premium oils where you get an extra pack. And um, also there's always going to be a discount and uh, often free shipping. So go on over to dropanfbomb.com slash Allie Miller RD. All right, so let's get into today's topic and we'll just start with the basics. So can you explain to our listeners what exactly are neurotransmitters? Why are these important? Why are we talking about them? Yes, I will try my darndest. So, you know, I think of it as like lines of uh, phone communication, right? And neurotransmitters essentially are chemical messengers and they carry signals from one neuron to another. And generally speaking, when we think of the word neuron, we need to kind of, let's go back a step and unpack, as we've talked about in so many episodes, this HPA axis and the connection of the autonomic nervous system. 
So the autonomic nervous system is regulated primarily by the hypothalamus. That's the H of the HPA axis, and it's located in the brain. It's our regulatory center for the body predominantly. And our autonomic nervous system includes both that overreactive fight or flight sympathetic nervous system response, as well as the regulatory rest, digest, metabolize, reproduce parasympathetic nervous system response. And this autonomic nervous system, again, which is regulated by the brain, the hypothalamus more specifically, has a direct bilateral communication through the gut-brain axis via the enteric nervous system, which is the connection of all the neurons that are in our intestinal tract. Pause there. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I'm still following for sure. And um, so beyond the, you said neurons in your body, beyond, beyond uh, expand, excuse me, <laughs> beyond those in your brain. So the gut as well. Yes. And the autonomic nervous system, predominantly we think of running through the spine, right? And this drives our unconscious or subconscious activity. So this is what regulates our heart rate uh, this is where things like mitral valve prolapse can be tied to nutrient deficiency or arrhythmia of heart rate can be tied to neurotransmitter impact, right? Our respiratory rate, our digestion, the dilation of our pupils, all these involuntary reflexes and influencing factors are going to be impacted by the autonomic nervous system. In the cranial sacral area, which is the upper part, so like the brain and, and a little bit below, is where we start to see the primary parasympathetic nerves being expressed. So that's that regulatory function. And in the thoracic lumbar, so starting with kind of your lungs down, is where the sympathetic fight or flight response is expressed. So for any listeners, uh, Becky and I don't talk often about our work with chiropractic care. But both of us are pretty regular um, use users, I guess, <laughs> um, clients <Yes. laughs> uh, of chiropractic care. And I've had many a time where they will do that like heat scan up your spine. Have you had that done, Becky? I have. Where, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so they'll look at, you know, your cranial nerves, your thoracic and your lumbar um, parts of your spine, and they look for like heat or temperature shifts, right? And so they're looking at like overdrive or distress in those areas. And again, the upper cranial sacral is where we're going to see more of the parasympathetic regulatory. And then in more of the kind of lung and lumbar spines, where we'll see more of that stress response. So that's where connection to the adrenal glands and so forth would be seen as, as stimulation. Super, super interesting. I'm always like red all over my shoulders. And <laughs> yes, kind of all the way yep, yep. <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's super wild because this autonomic nervous system communicates through this networking system, essentially of, of ports and threads that line your spinal region. And all of the regions of the spine have different peripheral glands. I think that should for sure be what we'll do maybe as this uh, week's uh, image of a promo, you know, I think that those are really cool. I'm always taking pictures of those images where it shows the spine and then all the glands that are impacted by the various nerves that run up and down your spine. Oh, totally. And I definitely felt some like super interesting shifts in my body when I've had a chiropractic alignment where it's like, oh, like I didn't know I wasn't hearing out of my left ear or like, 
<laughs> yeah, or liver stagnation is going on because of a pinched nerve or so forth. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's because, again, it's like the line of the communication is muted or is fuzzy, right? So when we're opening up these, these fibrous nerves, carry these messages of the neurotransmitters to and from the central nervous system and back and forth, there's 30 billion neurons in the brain. And, you know, again, these then cross these synapses as, as these chemical signals for the body. And then they bilaterally connect back and forth to the gut as well. So very uh, interwound. Super cool. And then these neurotransmitters can influence way more than perception, survival status, and mood. They can impact, like you said, heart rate, digestive function, metabolism, so, so much more. Um, Let's talk about what neurotransmitters are actually comprised of or how they're actually built in the body. Sure. So there's over a hundred unique neurotransmitters and uh, they communicate with neurons again in your gut as well as your central nervous system. And then they can also communicate with non-neuron cells like your muscles and your other glands. That's what regulates that other kind of involuntary function. Now, what they're comprised of are essentially protein compounds or amino acids. So, you know, protein is made up of, of amino acids. And these are the building blocks that create particular neurotransmitters. And they're combined or activated in the presence of particular enzymes as well as cofactor nutrients. And I would say that the majority of the nutrient cofactors are going to be in the B vitamin family. So protein and B vitamins are essentially like the two biggest foundational recommendations you'll see me making over and over again through this episode. Okay, awesome. And then just like with gut bacteria being either symbiotic or you know in the optimal state of balance or dysbiotic and imbalanced, neurotransmitters can be inhibitory or excitatory. And today, like we said, we're going to focus on the inhibitory, but let's unpack that a little bit. Sure. So as I've stated in prior episodes, and and we just kind of connected this again, enteric nervous system is the brain of the gut. And this we've seen with research that the state of our gut bacteria or our microbiome balance is going to influence what's been manufactured in that enteric nervous system. So like you said, yes, in a symbiotic balanced state of gut bacteria, when we have optimal lactobacillus and bifido strains of of probiotic and they're viable, so they're living, they're they're nourished in the gut, we're gonna see a great production of these inhibitory compounds, which today will really unpack serotonin and GABA as two of the primary. In a dysbiotic state where there could be pathogen or yeast overgrowth or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or even potentially just a uh, uh, no growth or a sterilized gut, we can often be more prone towards uh, the expression of excitatory neurotransmitters like our epinephrine, our adrenaline. Essentially, the body starts to send signals that the body's unsafe and that is generally seen from that overgrowth of that bad bacteria. Now, whereas the gut can be more like symbiotic good, (laughs) dysbiotic bad, you can't necessarily classify that an excitatory neurotransmitter is bad and an inhibitory neurotransmitter is good. You know, it's just really what's adjusting these levers of the fight or flight stress response. So what I mean by that is, you know, there's this complex symphony in the brain and in the gut that respond to our neurotransmitters. 
And generally speaking, inhibitory signals like serotonin and GABA are like a mellow out for the brain. Um, however, too much of either of those inhibitory compounds, as we'll talk about today in, in the episode, can drive dysfunction like brain fog, difficulty concentrating. Um, and you won't see that, for instance, you can't get too symbiotic of a gut, right? <laughs> Whereas you can't have too much of an inhibitory compound. And the same thing to be said with excitatory neurotransmitters. You know, we generally think of our epinephrine, our dopamine, our glutamate as these stress-stimulating compounds, which can provoke anxiety or chronic stress response. But at the same time, if we don't have ample amounts of those excitatory players, then we can be dealing with depression, a flat affect, low libido. Uh, so I would say that the answer would be that the gut bacteria impacts the production um, and an optimal symbiotic gut is going to create a good balanced expression in the brain. But unlike symbiotic and dysbiotic, we don't look at inhibitory and excitatory as either good or bad. It's just a different influencing factor. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And clinically, I definitely see a lot of the same symptoms on either end of the spectrum, as you mentioned, like low serotonin could exhibit, you know, obviously with depression, but so can high serotonin actually. So there's a lot of, of kind of double-edged sword there. Um, Absolutely. So and severe mania sure. really, and, and, and maybe more clinical uh, expressed like bipolar disorder. Uh, and, and that's where, like I said, this multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical industry just continues to throw darts at a dartboard that's spinning if you will, because a lot of testing and, and strategy of why is not investigated. Uh, we work with these reuptake inhibitors, which impact downstream expression without understanding the complexity of the individual as a starting point. Sure. So much more relationship focused when we're talking about neurotransmitters similar to hormones yes. in the body. Yes, totally. Totally. It's, it's, it's so much more relative, right? So like we've talked about with sexual hormones, you know, too low of progesterone could express as estrogen dominant, even if estrogen levels are normal, but you would address that differently, that level of estrogen dominance differently than someone who clinically has too much estrogen circulating in their body. And we could say the same thing as far as, you know, again, too high of epinephrine with too low of GABA could be expressed in, in similar ways where epinephrine is normalized, but GABA is too depleted. So you don't have that landing gear or, you know, GABA is optimized, but epinephrine is an excess. You're not going to have ample landing gear for that excess. Okay. And then because we know this is such a delicate balance, um, what factors are at play or what actually influences the expression of these neurotransmitters? So they're influenced by the production pathways or building blocks, which is going to be based on, of course, demand, as well as the, um, so demand being, I guess I'll unpack that a moment, uh, you burn through neurotransmitters when you're under high stress right? So uh, it's like one of those magic things of, yes, if you are able to meditate, be mellow, get eight plus hours of sleep a night, work only 40 hours a week, uh, maintain bliss and balance and good connected relationships and all of the things, your neurotransmitters would likely not be as pressed or taxed or imbalanced. 
So there's this demand, you know, an individual that works 10 hours plus a day gets poor sleep is likely running on adrenaline and they're likely going to be making an excess of that epinephrine. And they might also be, you know, running depleted in their inhibitory serotonin and GABA. So demand plays a big role in, in regulating this balance or driving the imbalance, if you will. And then the next thing we consider is potential limitations of the building materials. So we're talking about, again, these particular precursor amino acids and their cofactors, which are often B vitamins, which activate the enzymes that drive the production pathway. So this is where I, I really see often protein deficiency or an individual that's eating a, a diet that does not have ample animal biological protein building blocks to be a big driver of potential deficiency or, or potential lack of formation of these neurotransmitters. Then we can think of also things like genetic influences. We know that folate, for instance, plays a role with the activation from 5-HTP, which is 5-hydroxy uh, tryptophan, the precursor to make serotonin. We know that both pyridoxine B6 and folate are required. So for an individual that has a genetic limitation like MTHFR genetic, if they're getting folic acid, that may unfavorably impact that dirty gene or that genetic mutation. And now they're having a hindrance in their serotonin production. Yeah, some super interesting stuff with the genetics. I'm sure we'll get into COMT more in the second part of this episode yes. as well, which would influence more the excitatory piece of the puzzle. Um, but just going back to what you said about protein deficiency, I think that's a really important thing to know. Oftentimes when I do run the Labrix neurohormone panel and I see like all of someone's neurotransmitters are flat, the first thing I say is like, let's audit your protein and let's also look at gut integrity and make sure yes. you're digesting your protein. Yes. So often it's adding a quality enzyme like our digestate with hydrochloric acid, right? Uh, so that they're able to break down and activate some of the B vitamins, right? Like B12 requires that intrinsic factor in hydrochloric acid, as well as break down the dense proteins. So I think that that's definitely something to prioritize. And, um, you know, when we talk about this, this deep interwound connection, it's important to acknowledge that most amino acids or, you know, protein building blocks are actually able to cross the blood brain barrier, which can support within itself the production of neurotransmitters in the central nervous space. Right. Um, but we can often see that neurotransmitters that are made in the gut don't cross the blood-brain barrier because there's this kind of protective uh, bodyguard response um, so that we can produce, but we're not going to get that active neurotransmitter recrossing the blood-brain barrier because that would drive really chronic stress response. It's like a protection from overdrive, overdrive mode from that gut-brain uh, connection. Okay. Awesome. And then beyond this, do you want to dig into serotonin or any closing thoughts on protein? Um, well, I, I would just say that, you know, for protein, I often say that when we're thinking of getting enough protein, if you're at an ideal body weight, I would really recommend like a minimum of one, but often 1.2 grams per kilogram um, of intake upwards of 1.4. 
And uh, then if you're looking for active weight loss or you are, you know, over 30 pounds overweight, that might be a little bit lower. Uh, but generally speaking, like you said, Becky, it's eating more protein than most people are getting. And so if we're looking at a, a woman that is like 125 pounds, we're talking about like 70 plus grams of protein a day. And remember that one ounce of protein is seven grams. So if you're just having two eggs for breakfast, um, or if you're intermittent fasting, that can be another sticky place with protein deficiency, right? And I think that's worth discussing this moment. Um, uh, let me go through with the egg example, and then let's circle back on fasting and how sure. that yeah, can impact yeah. your neurotransmitters. Um, so if you're eating two eggs for breakfast, that's like 14 grams of protein right there. And then maybe you're having like a leftover burger patty, which might be like five ounces. So that would be 35 grams there. So you're dancing at that juncture at around 50 grams of protein. You still need another three and a half to four ounces to really meet that quota. Um, and so that, you know, that generally means like two, four to five ounce portions of protein a day and at least a one to two ounce protein snack. Sure. So like adding in a shake with grass-fed whey protein, which is going to have that full spectrum of amino acids in it would be a great option for an individual who's fasting and maybe exercising. So there's also more demand on um, those amino acids just to bump things up a little bit. Yeah. And especially in the vegetarian population, you know, you'll hear about vegetarian forms of tryptophan, like, and I, I even mentioned it like, oh, banana can help with uh, serotonin production. There's also a little bit of a, a glucose connection there, but I would call out, you know, remember as we talked about with collagen, collagen is a great source for glycine and proline and these other amino acids that can definitely be supportive of relaxation or stress response, as well as all the benefits of collagen for like connective tissue. But if you're someone that's prone towards anxiety and depression, you likely would benefit more from a grass-fed whey because recall that collagen is limiting tryptophan as the one amino acid that it doesn't have. Yep. And I think to that point, really important just in general to vary your amino acids and make sure you're not eating just, you know, we talk about this all the time, but just like chicken breast and, you know, <laughs> lean ground beef, because then you're really missing out on that full spectrum. Absolutely. So that's that whole snout to tail, get in the bone broth, the gelatin, the pork skins. And then of course, quality sourcing is, is key as well. Yes. And I'm sure we'll unpack a little bit further, which specific amino acids kind of translate to which neurotransmitters. So we may have gotten ahead of ourselves, but, um, let's go into serotonin now and, um, talk a little bit about symptoms of high and low its influence or other important factors and how to rebalance your serotonin. Yeah, so serotonin is definitely the most popular or, I guess, uh, medically recognized of the neurotransmitters. Definitely the largest amount of drug therapies have been used on serotonin receptors. And that's potentially because beyond its influence on anxiety and mood stability, we have the predominant amount of serotonin receptors in the forebrain but they are found throughout the body. So we have serotonin receptors in the intestines, in the cardiovascular system of the heart, in our blood vessels as well, in our uterus and our ovaries. So definitely can have connection in our sexual function and fertility. And serotonin has the ability to not only have impact itself with its expression, but to modulate the release of other neurotransmitters as well as sexual hormone in the body. And that can influence greatly the stress response. 
Okay. Got it. Let's get into some of the symptoms maybe of deficiency of serotonin. So low serotonin, what would that look like? Yeah. And, you know, when we're thinking of deficiencies and prone towards it, connect that dot of with serotonin and sexual hormone, right? Where we see often mood disturbances in a perimenopausal time frame, right? So women that are going through dynamic sexual hormone change. So perimenopause, menopause, uh, also talking about postpartum uh, depression and anxiety, as well as if you're going through on the other end of the spectrum, provoking with infertility uh, synthetic hormones and how that can then chicken and net respond to your serotonin. So when we have serotonin levels that are too low, we're prone towards anxiety, poor sleep, uh, depression or a flat affect, uh, ruminating thoughts or anticipatory distress. And then beyond the mental emotional stuff, we can see aches throughout the body. So this is where we see that like fascia, muscular tissue influenced joint pain can be tied to chronically low serotonin. Constipation can be influenced tinnitus, which is like that buzzing or ringing in the ears. It's also tied to high dopamine and then lack of pleasure because serotonin does have some element of, of bliss. And there's definitely a serotonin oxytocin connection as far as one of the sexual hormone connections. Yes. And you mentioned the hormonal shifts is kind of one of the major drivers. I also find um, trauma to be a big one. Like if you've gone through a divorce or you know a, a loss or something like that, Oftentimes that's where a lot of these symptoms start to show up. And I like to look at serotonin and, and kind of make that connection of, well, you kind of burned it all out, um, you know, yeah. going through that. And also again, deeper web we leave <laughs> the fact that often the gut gets sterilized from chronic sure. stress yeah. response yeah. and your lactobacillus produces your serotonin, right? So there's definitely that connection as well, which I would say to answer that, you know, your one up, your safest thing to do if you know you're going through a high stress timestamp is up your probiotic game. Um, because you also at that time, I would not recommend playing with like 5-HTP, which is the immediate uh, precursor again to serotonin, unless you know that you're clinically low. Uh, and even if you are clinically low, potentially not in a time of a dynamic stress response, like going through, uh, you know, divorce court based on your uh, child, uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Fighting for your children. Custody. Custody. Thank yep. you. Yep. <laughs> uh -huh. So let's talk symptoms of excess. So, so the issue would be is if you are in a high demand stress mode, if you're supplementing with 5-HTP, you could be throwing yourself to excess. And especially if you're on any form of a uh, antidepressant, SSRI or MAOI, I do not recommend any form of 5-HTP because it can drive these symptoms of excessive serotonin levels or serotonin syndrome mania. So we can see agitation, confusion, rapid heart rate, heavy sweating, or issues of body temperature control. And often we'll see that with chronic stress because the body's just surging serotonin. Uh, mania, of course, we can see it on the opposite of the deficiency where we saw constipation. We can see diarrhea or like rapid urgent bowel movements. We can see muscle rigidity instead of just like the aching or tension or overactivated muscles, headaches in that same kind of vein, and uh, fever also, or uh, starting to see an elevated uh, basal body temperature. Yep. So a lot of times I think women will, will um, have night sweats or something like that and um, think it's predominantly estrogen, but it could be serotonin focused as well then. 
Yes, absolutely. So, you know, my biggest recommendations, again, if you're not doing clinical testing, and we will address that at the end of today's episode, would be to focus on nutrients of focus and then uh, really to focus on the food as medicine and if working with supplement to supplement with nutrients that don't directly just hit only serotonin. If you don't know where your levels are at, you'd want to hit more foundational elements. And so what I mean by that is supplement strategy would be quality probiotic. And it'd be a good time if you, if you, you know, assign to these symptoms pretty dynamically to make sure that you've done the probiotic challenge to see if you have to do a beat the bloat six week gut cleanse, which I have available in that bundle on the website. Uh, if you fail the probiotic challenge, then that you're gonna have to plow the gut before you can reseed the good bugs. Uh, if you pass the probiotic challenge and you see improvement, then you'd refill with the targeted strength probiotic that's going to be the best supporter for your serotonin and your GABA without driving possibility of excess. Yes. And then beyond that, supplement-wise, a B-complex or and or common clear would be a great addition. Absolutely. Yes. So we're looking for like 50 to 100 milligrams of B6 in its activated form, which we see in our B-complex as well as in all of the multivitamins. And then we're looking at the folate in a nature-made folate or methylated folate form, which is also in the B-complex for the uh, multis, both the Mama, Mama Avail um, and the multi-defense. And then food forms, we'd look for tryptophan-rich foods. So we're talking about dark poultry. Uh, so we could be talking about turkey. That's like the Thanksgiving <laughs> statement always is that people get really restful after eating too much turkey. I think it's a, a blood sugar yep. <laughs> coma. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, but dark skin poultry is fantastic as are like duck eggs are fantastic for tryptophan-rich foods. We can also focus on pepitas or pumpkin seeds. And then we may even incorporate chickpeas. Uh, dairy is also a pretty good source and you might do cultured dairy uh, like yogurt which would then incorporate the probiotics if you're staying dairy free or you're doing the 12 week elimination in the anti-anxiety diet then you would do cultured pickles uh, kraut kombucha kimchi and all those forms of ferments okay awesome um, and then folate rich foods as well so our leafy greens cruciferous vegetables and liver. And liver. Yeah. And liver. <laughs> um, okay. So on to GABA, the ultimate chill pill. So sometimes referred to, you know, magnesium as a nutrient. But I think when we talk about supplements in our line, GABA Calm is that kind of go-to light switch, mellow or outer that you can feel the influence of in as little as like 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I think GABA is really the unsung hero as far as the inhibitory neurotransmitter response. And it has pretty rapid anxiety relief. It can impact the central nervous system through targeting our brain's conscious and behavioral center. But when we're talking about chewing it again, remember the form that's active in my GABA calm chewable is the form pharma GABA. And it is onset in about 10 to 15 minutes. But again, remember neurotransmitters themselves can't cross the blood brain barrier. So the pharma GABA works more on the peripheral tissues of the body and the enteric nervous system. So it tells the gut that things are safe. It mellows out those excitatory nervous system responses that bilaterally communicate to our central nervous system. And I will say hands down times 10 million. 
<laughs> that my Gabacom works. And like, I mean, people <laughs> praise it. I, I take it every time I get on stage with bright lights. And um, I love having conversations with nerdy biochemists about this whole blood brain barrier relationship. And then, you know, exploring, but this is why GABA has unique mechanisms. And it, it's via, again, that connection of the enteric nervous system and the peripheral tissues, meaning like the, the outside of the central nervous system. Okay. And then let's get into symptoms of, of GABA deficiency. Um, first off, yeah, I know I that mean, like um, Parkinson's and things like that, yeah. have, like tremor can have a, a dynamic influence. Yes. And that's, that's exactly what I was just going to say, Becky. So, you know, I think when we think of GABA in the medical field, we think of gabapentin as a medication that can be used as a neurological tool, as well as a pain manager. And uh, if we think of, yes, the fact that GABA is neuroprotectant and it has significant role to reduce seizure activity in epilepsy as well as to reduce rigidity in neurotransmitter or neuromuscular, excuse me, spasms. So it actually can protect in the cases of neurological conditions like Parkinson's or MS and um, has even been sought out for things like migraines and PMS to reduce pain and stabilize mood. Yes, I often see gabapentin for migraines and um, yeah. for insomnia as well. Totally. So, okay. So deficiency would be, um, feeling of physiological tension. Like, um, so, you know, just literally feeling like it in the neck, in the um, shoulders, if you're just clenching your jaw or you're realizing when you're brushing your teeth in the morning that you were clenching your jaw, grinding your teeth, that might be a time to, for a couple of days, take a Gabacom, <laughs> get that deep release beyond the relax and regulate. As you mentioned before, that magnesium is a big tool too. Um, we can see when GABA is clinically deficient, a feeling of like a flighty, buzzy, kind of wiry or electric charge I've heard people express. And again, that's often because that deficiency of GABA creates two highly expressed excitatory players. It's not offsetting the adrenaline, if you will. We can also see tightness in the chest we can see dry mouth, we can see cravings or addiction to sweets and alcohol. And I think that's really important to state maybe again, going into the holiday season, often, as we know, like stress with family, in-laws, whatnot, <laughs> especially if we're like entertaining, that that leads to mindless munching or seeking that food coma. A lot of times Gabacom can be a great tool to release that um, urgency, if you will, or that like addictive tendency. At the same end, again, we can see compulsive eating with too low of GABA. We can see elevated blood pressure levels. We can see panic attack and then uh, a, a mental exhaustion or brain fog from the perpetuating racing thoughts. Awesome. So a lot of those instances would be, you know, using a GABACOM kind of in the, the moment, whether it's going into a stressful situation, like you said, public speaking or um, going into, you know, a conversation with family. I pass them around the table at Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> then maybe Uncle Tom doesn't drink too much exactly. or whatever. <laughs> okay, definitely give two to my mother before we even get started with the day. <laughs> I love it. It's a great well, I think, Yeah, I think it's important before we go into symptoms of excess to call out also um, just connecting the dots, the role of the ketogenic diet on GABA expression. Sure. And, you know, I, I talk about this often in the fact that 
you know, when the body's making BHB or beta-hydroxybutyrate or ketone bodies, that these themselves support gut health, large intestine health with butyrate and uh, the production of uh, balanced good gut bacteria. But we also see the impact that ketones themselves cross the blood-brain barrier, so they can pass that body hard, if you will, and they upregulate GABA expression. And that's one of the main mechanisms that the ketogenic diet is sought out for neurological conditions, is based on this GABA response. Awesome. I think that's a really important connection to make. And even beyond that, I was just thinking... Um, CBD and GABA have a pretty intrinsic connection too. Do we want to highlight that for a moment? Sure. Yeah. So uh, CBD impacts um, both uh, cannabinoid receptors in the body and uh, has more expression on upregulation of GABA, whereas the THC, which is the psychoactive component from cannabis, is the one that really upregulates the pattern recognition and the dopamine reactivity. So I think that might be a really good uh, discussion to get into for sure deeper when we talk dopamine, because I think that'll totally resonate. But yes, that's where CBD can help with like depth and quality of sleep and that, that release of that steam train um, on the track. Also, that's where like adding CBD to an excitatory compound like black coffee, adding CBD oil to that is going to mitigate that response of the caffeine driving excess epinephrine by supporting some of that GABA expression in the brain. That like clicked so hard for me when we talked to Stephen Chernisky and he was talking about, you know, THC upregulating dopamine and leading to paranoia. I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense for someone like me. <laughs> um, what about um, symptoms on the flip side of excessive GABA? What would that look like? Yeah, so excess GABA, it's interesting actually, although like again, GABA can be influencing favorably on uh, neurological health and pain management, we can see excess GABA driving some of the same symptoms. Again, that's why this is this complex symphony. So we can see like an edgy or anxiousness with too much GABA. We can see amplified pain or restlessness. Uh, we can see brain fog or inability to focus. And then we can see a little bit of that increased worry, distrust of others, or a little bit of that kind of hypervigilance, as well as uh, what I mostly see is a little bit of maybe like an inability to feel awake or um, impact with memory. Now, with this being said, though, I will say that I always say to people with GABACOM that it doesn't impact your cognitive function. Um, and that is, I always say, well, try one before you do your first big gig. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I do. You know, too. <laughs> yeah, like definitely chew a GABACOM before your first date that you have gone on in five years or your, you know, meetup or whatever, or your performance review with your boss or, or your big trial if you're an attorney, whatever it is. Uh, but with that being said, I do have physicians, including surgeons, including uh, pediatric neurosurgeon uh, patients and so forth, that use the GABA Calm and uh, will state that they feel super clear and that bite of that tiny tremor of the, the adrenaline stress response is reduced and that that really helps with execution. And I find that personally myself when public speaking or doing a big interview. Yep. So maybe taking GABA for a test drive before that, like <laughs> yeah. big, big um, demand or, or, you know, big deadline or whatnot, um, taking it for a test drive on a less intensive <laughs> demand. Um, and then one thing that I often see in 
clinic is um, elevated GABA and really low serotonin. And often I make the connection of potential gut bacteria imbalance when those two neurotransmitters are like so dynamically split. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point to make. Often uh, GABA, we can see elevated also with elevated histamine, and that's usually an indication of a gut pathogen or, uh, you know, gut invader, if you will. And we often have to then go forward with a cleanse when GABA is excessively high. It's seen in an excessive fermented state. So that individual is often dealing with bloating and bowel irregularity and potentially some skin issues and so forth. Okay. And then what about nutrients of focus? So definitely probiotics would come in, you know, if our, our gut is just in a sterile state, um, we might have to do a bit of a cleanse if we're seeing excessive GABA, excessive histamine and having, you know, some of those other symptoms. Um, but probiotic rich foods would fit here. Absolutely. And again, if you're tolerating them, like you said, you're likely in a symbiotic or a sterilized environment and you're likely running low GABA. So that'd be a good thing to bring in the krauts, the kimchi, the miso, and so forth. And then uh, I would really focus on bone broth if we're low. Um, and again, this is where people that have high histamine or excessive GABA like can't do bone broth or like, you know, again, these long aged foods because of that feedback in the body. So for someone that's low, yes, bone broth would be fantastic because Bone broth beyond having collagen and gelatin, uh, the glutamine in there can aid in conversion to GABA, which is very therapeutic. And then for that reason, other glutamate-based foods, which would include grass-fed whey, again, as well as uh, cabbage is another glutamine-rich food. Awesome. And then green tea and matcha as well. Is that more for the L-theanine piece of the puzzle? Yes. So L-theanine is one of the only ways to bring down excess, right? As well as potentially support deficiency. So this would be one, like if you know you don't tolerate probiotics and you think you still are running off in GABA, green tea and matcha would be a great thing to bring into your daily routine as you're going through a gut cleanse. And then a great way to really determine the success of the cleanse is how do you tolerate then those probiotic rich foods following or the prior uh, foods that you didn't tolerate. Okay. And then in terms of supplements, then um, L-theanine as a supplement, I think would be a big player there, um, as well as our, our GABACOM chews, as we mentioned. Absolutely. So the L-theanine, I would just bring in in the form of the Calm and Clear because that's going to provide 200 milligrams of L-theanine per three capsules, as well as taurine and lemon balm and uh, B6. All of these collectively are going to support that balance of GABA expression. Okay. Awesome. So I want to talk about one thing that might be a little, I don't know if it's controversial per se, but something I get pushback on from a lot of clients when I try to talk to them about it, because I think our modern day lifestyle just has us so exposed and so used to this, but I know you're super passionate about blue light and its impact on our neurotransmitters. So let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's more pronounced when like, I just got back from book tour and <laughs> We weren't in our home uh, and, you know, so Stella had her joking. We ended up going to Powell's bookstore in Portland because, you know, she had seven books to read. 
for 12 days. <laughs> and after day five of reading those seven books 47 times, <laughs> we all were quite burned out, you know? And so it's like, okay, now we had to get Charlie Brown and the great pumpkin or whatever else we, we selected from Powell's. And, um, that's a good reset for us. But I find that, you know, I try my darndest to work with tinkering toys. I've been posting about that a lot with Stella and, it's, it's at this delicate age. I just see all too often um, that starting at toddler age and earlier, babies, infants, were expressing um, they're already going to be vulnerable to our electronic magnetic field or our EMF through like Wi-Fi in our house, right? Or flying on an airplane and all the other ways that we're getting bombarded by EMF on a daily basis. But they're also being, um, ex- being exposed to blue light really everywhere. And especially in the screen time. And I see clinically when I'm talking about pediatric migraines, neurological conditions, including autistic spectrum disorder along the lines and uh, ADHD, as well as, you know, cognitive issues, language issues that often we can tie a route to excessive blood sugar levels, processed foods and or excessive electronics, and often a combination of all three. And the reality is just that the brain gets overburdened with the bright blue screen lights, and this rapid visual effect essentially flickers quicker than the eye can detect, and this drives dopamine dumping. So when dopamine dumps rapidly, especially if it's an environment of a stress, like a stressful video game, like when you see seven-year-olds just like dot, 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 on their screen, you know, mm-hmm. oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> like coil. Um, so if it's a stressful game, then there's surges of epinephrine, you know, with adrenaline, if you will, survival needs, which then further depletes GABA. And, um, you know, GABA is the brain's attempt to mellow out this racing brain. And we're creating this racing brain effect from scrolling our social media um, or from our constant texting or from just working on our computers and screens. And it's been something that's been really concerning to me. I was talking to a friend who's a headmaster of a Montessori school. And she was like, I mean, we're not that old, Becky, but like, I'm sure like, in your high school, you had a backpack of books, right? Like oh, yeah. textbooks, like heavy textbooks. They were heavy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like maybe that's a good thing for structural help to, to, to alleviate on our teens and our kids. But like, I remember, you know, doing like the, the grocery store brown paper bag book mm-hmm. cover yep. and, you, you know, you take it and you got your little thing or then like the Lisa Frank things or whatever. Oh, yeah. But we had textbooks, dudes. Like we were looking at the most intensive fluorescence was our yellow highlighter on paper. You know, this is before LED lights. This is before. So it's just, I, I think that we're on the tip of the iceberg of, of what research will start to impact and how this drives aggressive tendencies, addictive tendencies. And, and really just chronic anxiety and, and mental distress, as well as cognitive brain impact. Totally. And it's kind of a frightening thing to think about, you know, both of us working virtually as well. You got to balance that out somewhere else. Because um, oftentimes we're probably on our computer 10, 12 hours a day. Um, yeah. But this yeah. is totally a perfect topic to connect the dots to our second sponsor for today's podcast, which is actually us um, with the newly released adrenal rehab program. And there's definitely a bunch of videos where you're totally wearing blue blockers on your desk and addressing this exact thing. 
Yes. So we created adrenal rehab as really a direct human approach to all of the nitty gritty deep complexes of the HPA axis, the influence of if we're running on adrenaline, if we're overextended and feeling anxious, if we're running on low or feeling burned out, if we're having unexplained weight gain or metabolic stress and dealing with dynamic hormone fluctuation and change, the adrenal rehab program really provides the science and the strategy to rebound the primary stress glands of your body, understanding the connection of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal feedback and getting strategy to help on lifestyle, food as medicine and supplement tools to mellow your mind. Yes, and this program is, it's going to be amazing. And by the time this episode airs, it will be live for sure. Um, and not in pre-sale mode anymore, Ellie? Or are we extending that? I think we should give them the code. Do you I remember think the code, the code. The Yes. For podcast listeners yep. only. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so the code is ADRENAL99, and this code is going to get you this awesome program for just $99 instead of the list price of $150. So I'll include that in our show notes, but yes, exclusively for book tour attendees and those of you who listen to and love the podcast. And this program is going to include, so it's a, a program you can do at any time. It's not a live program like our keto program. It's totally self-paced. It's three plus hours of video content and it's broken up. So you don't have to stare at your screen the whole time, (laughs) Um, but broken up so you can print out the handouts, follow along and kind of go at your own pace. So three hours of video content, interactive worksheets and supportive materials. There are six cooking demos and recipes of Allie in her own kitchen, um, creating some recipes that are going to have supportive compounds for rebounding your adrenals, um, as well as supplement and advanced lab testing recommendations. And I think this is the first program where we really go in depth into not all, but a lot of the supplements in the naturally nourished line and who they'd be appropriate for. Um, we talk dosage and mechanisms of action on kind of a nerdy level so that you can really understand what's going to work best for you in your current situation. Absolutely. And I think also another thing to note that's important is for those of you that are using some form of nutritional ketosis or are keto curious or have been uh, an already active uh, participant in the 12 week food is medicine virtual ketosis program that this adrenal rehab program really layers in how a high fat diet can help to actually balance out hormones. We talk about a lot of roadblocks and considerations incorporating the adrenals and the thyroid into the equation. And we dig really deep into the concept of leptin and carb cycling. And of course, my whole food approach to the ketogenic diet, which means no non-caloric sweeteners and no messing with these hyper palatable compounds that will trick your metabolism. Instead, really channeling savory and then layering in these therapeutic anti-inflammatory neurological boosting and hormone balancing compounds. So some of the recipes that are included are the adrenal rehab shake, which is a really nice like lemon cream pie delivery of vitamin C and coconut milk, 
our low-carb collagen zucchini muffins, matcha lime pudding with blackberries, turmeric coconut chicken thighs, which was a recipe that happened kind of like on the fly during the development. It's it's so, so good. It's so good. Like a creamy kind of curry type of coconut sauce, Um, cauliflower chowder, which is a really nice recipe with like bacon and everything that you love about, is it potato? Chowder. I don't even know what. Yeah, like baked potato soup, potato or whatever it used soup. to be called. I don't know what what that is chowder. that people eat that isn't cauliflower. But you guys, we ate it on the Fourth of July, and it was still tasty. Yeah, it was, it was so hot <laughs> in Austin, Texas. It was like 103, and I still ate me two bowls of cauliflower chowder because it's so delicious. So, so yes, definitely go on over to AllieMillerRD.com under books and programs. You can check out the adrenal rehab program. The last thing I want to call out to it is yes, like Becky said, it's completely self-guided. So you can do it at your own timeline. You will have access to the materials for the lifespan of the website. Uh, But we do support you with uh, emails that kind of trickle in at a weekly basis for your first four weeks from the date of purchase. So you do have some accountability, some challenges, some things that kind of provoke or really uh, bring to life some of the content that you'll be watching through the video layout. So I hope you'll check it out. I'm super stoked about it. It's probably the most exciting groundbreaking program that I've released. And I can't wait for you to use it to really accelerate your health to make 2019 and as strong as you can and um, probably propel into 2020 with amazingness. Yes. So again, that code is adrenal 99. I'll include it in the show notes just for you guys. All right. Let's talk now about a one last one. <laughs> one, one more. You guys handle one more. I think we got it. Um, so this is a compound. It's not necessarily a neurotransmitter, more of a neurological compound, I guess, but acetylcholine. What's the deal? Yeah. And and so some would classify acetylcholine actually as an excitatory neurotransmitter. Uh, But I really think of it as as more of a conductor of signaling, if you will. And we've talked about choline um, in a couple different episodes. I believe in our liver health episode, we've talked about choline in our prenatal nutrition episode. We've talked about choline probably as one of three nutrients in the featured episode. Yep. We love choline. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we have all the love for choline, and we often talk like egg yolks and liver, right? And that's the best places to get it. But we do know that acetylcholine has a lot of ties to its anti-aging effects because it basically protects our neurological function. So it can favorably impact Alzheimer's, dementia, or neurodegenerative diseases because acetylcholine can have a role in memory, concentration, cognitive reasoning, and it signals brain communication as well as synaptogenesis, which is basically the process of building new brain synapses or communication channels. So it both enhances memory, concentration, and cognitive reasoning, as well as stimulating the production of new brain communication channels. It also is connected to the way that the signals carry because all message carrying fibers in both the fight or flight sympathetic and the regulatory parasympathetic nervous system, all of these message carrying fibers are cholinergenic. And basically that means that these nerve fibers are protected by myelin 
and that they use acetylcholine as the neurotransmitter chemical transductor of the signal. Okay. So more of a messenger um, than a neurotransmitter per se, but kind of classified both ways if you get into the literature. Um, What are some symptoms of acetylcholine deficiency? So big things we'll see is, of course, in cognitive decline or dementia, memory loss, uh, delayed or slowed mental processing. We can see a trend of elevated uh, liver function um, uh, markers in the blood panel. So like ALT and AST can be elevated, or we can see uh, fatty liver being diagnosed when acetylcholine levels are too low, or really, I think that's attributed more to choline itself, but that then trends with low acetylcholine. Uh, We can see like a flat affect and reduced creativity. We can see fatigue. We can see reduced speed and strength. We can see constipation and gastroparesis, so basically a slowing of the involuntary pumping because that neurological function isn't optimized in your digestive tract. And then also on a vascular level with the neurological influence, we can see flushing in the skin. Okay. And then I know this is one that I often see deficient like postpartum for new mamas. So it could be part of that reason for like the mom brain. Is that what it's called? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, they say that your child sucks your brains Uh out when uh you deliver them. And um, that's really why I have choline in the multi-avail mama. And a lot of prenatals don't have it. And a lot of Americans are clinically deficient. So definitely something to be mindful of in a quality uh, prenatal to make sure that it does have choline in there. Yeah. And then my B complex also has the choline in there as well. I know it took some searching for those formulas to find one that had a, you know, sufficient amount of choline to be impactful. Most definitely. Okay. And then what about symptoms of excess? And is that something to be concerned with? Yeah, definitely. With excess, you can see uh, confusion, blurred vision, irritability. We can see nausea and vomiting. Uh, And then we can see like excitatory uh, response as far as muscle twitching. Um, And then that over time can lead to some forms of paralysis. So like I mentioned, the gastroparesis with deficiency, we can also kind of see that influencing in an excess world. Uh, And then some anxiety-like tendency with uh, dry mouth and um, headaches or or tension. Okay. Got it. And then you mentioned egg yolks and liver is kind of the primary nutrients of focus for choline. Any other um, foods to focus on there? Yeah, you could also layer in cruciferous vegetables. So as you guys know, it's a regular staple in both of our diets. So broccoli, cauliflower, uh, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cooked would be best. And um, especially cooked with fat, again, because fat's going to create more support for that myelin sheet, which is where that signal is conducted. Awesome. And then supplementation, as we mentioned, the multi-avail mama is a great option, um, as well as the B-complex that contains choline. Would you ever want to supplement with acetylcholine outside of that? So, you know, I would look if you are clinically low and you're using a B-complex with choline in it, uh, you may consider for six to 12 weeks, but I would really uh, watch the timeline because again, the excess can be pretty concerning as well, which is why the dosage in both of the B-complex and the multivalmama are are very strategic. Um, But you could use like an alpha GPC 
or uh, cytocholine form, which are very bioavailable, somewhere between 300 to 900 milligrams. Uh, but really research supports that at that like half uh, timestamp of the three months, like the six week mark, that that should really be reduced to a half dosage of where you started. Okay. So all super, super interesting. And we've gotten a lot so far on serotonin, GABA, and acetylcholine. And I know, like we said, the anti-anxiety diet book goes super deep into four other players, but we've decided to reserve these for another episode because there's just no way that we were going to fit it all in. (laughs) Yeah. And I think giving you all time to digest and Uh kind of sit with this information is probably a good thing. We won't, we won't put your HPA access into overdrive today. (laughs) Uh, But before we let listeners go, let's just give a little bit of a summary um, of how we can get these neurotransmitters back into balance. And I'd also like us to highlight um, testing and definitely the importance of testing if we're going to be supplementing with something like 5-HTP, for example. Yeah. So, you know, again, connecting the dots that a lot of the pharmaceutical industry impact on mood stability or these conditions outside of mood stability, but working with neurotransmitter modulation, if you will, they they target neurotransmitter function without increasing the stores or the foundation of the neurotransmitters. So with a receptor modulator, we're potentially recycling the already low neurotransmitter, which can often then lead to even lower production, driving then more symptoms, uh, medication you know, replacement or change or increased dosage to get efficacy or impact in the body, rather than working to really feed the tank or fuel the clinical deficiency or understand the why. So if this really resonates and you're curious about the status of your neurotransmitters, I would recommend two labs for consideration. One would be, um, and you can order all of our labs on the website, AllieMillerRD.com under books and programs. And if you're doing the adrenal rehab program, we give you even deeper guidance on these advanced labs. But you could run the Labrix Neurohormone Complete or Neurohormone Complete Plus if you also wanted to look at your salivary cortisol as well as your sexual hormone and DHEA then you're going to get a urinary assessment of nine different neurotransmitters. And that's where you can really start to understand those levels of relative imbalances versus just one information pathway. And that's where, like Becky said, that's the only time that really I would use a direct precursor of a neurotransmitter. If we're looking foundationally to address the neurotransmitters, we would potentially also look at a micronutrient test. Uh, Because like we said earlier, a micronutrient test is going to look at your amino acids. So we're going to look at serine, asparginine, and glutamine. And uh, glutamine, we'll talk about much deeper in next week's episode with glutamate. Uh, But serine plays a big role with phosphatidylserine, which influences cortisol regulation. And um, asparginine is also going to give us just a base foundation of our amino acids. Are we eating enough protein? We can also look at strategic low B vitamin status in a micronutrient test, and that's a blood test, right? So that would be giving us the choline, um, uh, pyridoxine, which is B6, and other players, folate, if we are clinically low, how to kind of get above water. So 
the Labrix panel or the micronutrient test would be two places to start. If you've been on medication, you're looking at a strategic wean process, or you haven't seen successful outcomes and you're looking at kind of re-harnessing the wild stallion of the brain. Okay. Awesome. And then let's just give like a quickie, maybe top three things that you can do to rebalance neurotransmitters. And I'm sure we'll have more good stuff in the follow-up episode to this. Yeah. So, I mean, as we've discussed, a lot of this gets depleted or thrown off based on chronic demand. So one of the first things we can do is support our body with adaptogens and nervines. These are things that are herbal compounds that will help us to adapt to stress demand. And then nervines are calming agents, which reduce the neurological system from going into that overdrive mode. So calming clear time and time again would be this foundational tool as a supplement because it has both a blend of adaptogens, nervines, as well as these B vitamin cofactors and L-theanine, which L-theanine we'll give more love to next week, but it really is the modulator or kind of the pilot regulator for our brain chemistry. So Calm and Clear would be a great formula for that kind of overall foundational comprehensive approach. Then taking lifestyle beyond supplement, I would focus on uh, deep breathing techniques. So I talk a lot in the anti-anxiety diet on four, seven, eight breath, which is that Dr. Andrew Weil approach, which basically sends relaxation signals down the vagus nerve from the body to the brain through the back. And that's inhaling through the nose for four, holding for seven and exhaling for eight with like a whooshing. So that exhale two to one ratio to your inhale really like presses the air out of the inner tube, if you will. And that exhalation sends the body signals of safe and security and regulates that parasympathetic state. And then I'd say beyond breath, really focusing on our sleep hygiene. So making sure that we're getting it a night's deep, restful sleep, like at least seven upwards of nine hours a night can help to reset our stress hormones and reduce anxiety. We've seen that in clinical research. And if you're not getting that sleep on your own, layering in the Relax and Regulate supplement, which has that inositol and magnesium, we'll go deeper into those players next episode, as well as potentially the sleep support, which has the melatonin, because remember, melatonin is made from serotonin. So if you're running low or burning out your serotonin, it would make sense to give yourself that melatonin to get that reset button so that you're starting new again and not starting the day in a burned out state. So, so much good stuff today. And if you can't wait for the next episode, pop on over and grab the Adrenal Rehab Program for just $99, guys. Adrenal99 is the code to get it at that discount that we're extending for you all. Uh, sneak peek, Allie does the 478 breath, I think a couple of uh, rounds of it so that you can literally yeah. do it along with her in one of the videos. Uh, but great value, really, really good stuff in there that goes, if you can believe it, even deeper on some of this <laughs> stuff from today. Yes, we can nerd out in our blue blocker glasses together. Yes. <laughs> so I just want to, I just want to end strong with a uh, food as medicine synergy snack um, that would kind of hit on this area, and then next week when we're talking about some of those excitatory players and lows, we can we can hit on another world. Um, but for this one, I would highlight the recipe in the anti anxiety diet cookbook, which is the matcha gelatin 
with the blackberries on top. And, um, you know, so it uses a full can of coconut milk in a blender with fresh lime juice and lime zest and then uh, ceremonial grade matcha. I also talk about selection in the adrenal rehab. Uh, program. And so that ceremonial matcha has that L-theanine in there. It has the antioxidants to reduce oxidative stress in the brain. The full fat coconut milk has those medium chain triglycerides to enhance ketone production. The gelatin in there helps to support gut lining health and um, aid in gut integrity, thus reducing food sensitivity and inflammatory response in the brain and body. Um, so that'd be a great thing that you can check out to start to kind of pilot your brain chemicals as you uh, take potentially a, a deeper dive with my program. So if you liked today's episode, I hope you will go on over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast, be it Stitcher or Spotify or Podbean or all the places. Leave us a five-star review and a sentence or two of why you love it. And even more importantly, go vote with your dollar and purchase, while it's on sale, the Adrenal Rehab. I think you will absolutely love it. And I can't wait, like I said, to be a part of your healing journey. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.